Welcome to another Power Up Tuesday right here on TDN Radio. You are now locked in to Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone and it is wonderful to be back on your radio for another episode of Untapped Potential. You know we come here each and every week to just enjoy some me time, to listen to some inspiring guests, to enjoy some wonderful music and just enjoy some time taking care of the person that we are working on our own personal goals and working on our own personal aspirations. So again, welcome to the program. A special good evening to our regular listeners, wherever you may be joining us from. Uh, We also remember that Sunday was Mother's Day in the UK. So all the moms who join us each and every week right here, we hope that you had a wonderful Mother's Day. You got to enjoy some relaxation, someone cooked you a wonderful meal, (laughs) and you were able to just relax. So again, welcome to the program. And of course, if this is your first time tuning in, we want to say a special welcome to you as well. And we hope that you will join us each and every Tuesday right here on TDN Radio at 5.30 Eastern Time as we get powered up for the week together. Of course, we have another packed program for you today. Our guest is Dr. Jamila Fabian out of Antigua. So if you've been with us for a while, you know we've traveled just about the entire world to find inspirational guests from Dominica, of Caribbean heritage, of African heritage, to bring to the program to inspire us. So today we are off to Antigua. We will be joined by Dr. Jamila Fabian, and she will tell us all about her trials and her successes as she navigated her way all the way to Cuba to earn her degree in optometry and to come back to Antigua to open her very own business. So we are very excited to hear from Dr. Fabian today. And of course, after the pro- after she's done speaking with us, we will be sure to provide you with some information. And I thought today what we could talk about is just the experience of being an immigrant. So many of us leave our homes and we travel to neighboring Caribbean islands, to Canada, to the U.S., as far away as Alaska and Africa to seek other opportunities. But that in itself comes with its own challenges. So I thought we could spend a couple of minutes just talking about the challenges of being an immigrant. So I hope that you will stay with us until the end of the program for this information. But in the meantime, let's enjoy this number from Colton T, a track entitled Phase. It's a brand new track from Colton T out of Dominica, his brand new single entitled Phase. And speaking of Colton, you know, I had an opportunity to meet Colton. Of course, everyone is meeting everyone via Zoom (laughs) these days, right? So I had an opportunity to meet Colton and he's agreed to be a guest on the program. So we're looking forward to that interaction when Colton T will be able to join us. So again, enjoy this number from Colton T as we get ready to welcome 
Dr. Jamila to the program. And again, we are thankful for our sponsor by DominicaOnline.com, your number one source for local Dominican products ordered right here in the U.S. and delivered to you within three to four business days. So again, buy DominicaOnline.com for all your favorite Dominican products. So again, enjoy this number from Colton T. as we get ready to welcome Dr. Jamila potential, Dr. Jamila Fabian. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good, good, good. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Good. So by, and of course, we want to remember to say a very special thank you for Irma Marie out there in England who Mm -hmm. recommended you, because if I remember correctly, were you a student of her sister? Her sister, yes, I was her student in high school. Yeah, so that would be Mrs. uh, Cara Laura. Yes. Yes, Yes. so you're joining us from Antigua. Yes, Antigua, Paradise Island, I think. So so by way of introduction, tell us um, who you are and what you do. Okay, so I am an optometrist. I basically do uh, eye exams, general eye exams. So I'll do the refraction, which is checking to see what prescription you might need. I'll do a glaucoma screening, which is checking your eye pressures, checking the fundus at the back of the eye. I'll do uh, a slit lamp examination, that's checking the front of the eye, checking for any eye diseases or um, eye irregularities. So 
basically it's covering everything um <clears throat> normally once i see something suspicious or i pick up on a disease then i would refer to an ophthalmologist if if necessary what i can manage i would do in office and everything else i'll send to the ophthalmologist so like um surgeries i'll send to the ophthalmologist or um eye diseases such as diabetes diabetic retinopathy cataract um hypertensive retinopathy those are the things that i may be able to pick up and refer to the ophthalmologist if necessary other than that a normal eye exam you probably may or may not need glasses and i will dispense the glasses for you yeah and i'm happy you mentioned um ophthalmology because i think a lot of us get confused between the two so can you distinguish the two for us okay so the ophthalmologists they are normally medical doctors who specialize in ophthalmology and they normally do um, cataract surgeries glaucoma treatments and management diabetes well diabetic retinopathy treatment and management um, basically all the uh, I won't say medical stuff, but more like the surgeries and the medications part of the iPad. So okay. I would be like, it's, I'm like like a general doctor. So if I, I leave you to general doctor, you general checkup. If your doctor sees something wrong with your kidneys, you'll send you to the urologist. Or if they see something wrong with, um, you have uncontrolled diabetes, they'll send you to the internist right yeah so, so that's that's very yeah that's very helpful so if we're experiencing eye problems we would first come to you yes right so i think that that's helpful so we would first come to you and you would do the first um diagnosis the first analysis and right. then refer us if it's a more severe problem to a specialist right right. right 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 so that's helpful that's helpful so thank you for clarifying that for us now let's just talk about you in terms of you know the challenges you may have faced growing up becoming um, an optometrist so are there any challenges you want to share that uh, came along along the way as you were getting ready to become an, an optometrist well let's see um, so I got to a point in my life, this was, you know, after high school, where, you know, the next step is always, oh, you got to go to university. And um, originally, I wanted to be an optometrist. I did tell my optometrist at the time, because I used to go to um, optometrist almost every year, because I wore glasses since I was in the third grade. So I used to wear glasses, and I had a good relationship with my optometrist. So I said to her one year, you know, I want to be an optometrist. And um, I had already applied for a school to do, I don't even remember what it is now, like biomed or something, I don't remember. And she she called me one day and she said, you remember you told me you wanted to be an optometrist? Well, there's a scholarship available for that. Wow. Like, oh. Yeah, and the scholarship was in Cuba. In Cuba? Wow. In Cuba, so I was 17 mm. and I felt like, it was supposed to be, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I was very nervous about it because I'm 17 years old, going to a country that was uh, thought of to be kind of behind time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that was very uh, challenging, I guess, for the whole family. You know, well, not just not just behind time. It's uh, you know all those restrictions. Yeah, you yeah. know all the limitations because I know of, of, of uh, some of our folks that from Dominica who went to Cuba to go to school, and you know they talk about the rationing of you know toothpaste and toilet paper. So, did you have those experiences? Um, I can tell you, my first year was definitely a culture shock. Mm -hmm. um, I, what what I can appreciate with the Antiguan students that they were very supportive they came to the airport to greet us and so you kind of felt a little relieved however it was 10 of us that went up that time and two of we got separated from two of us got separated from them so it was like you know we did, we, there was like no communication like we didn't know where they went we didn't know how to communicate to them what so it wasn't it wasn't like one university you guys went to like separate schools 
separate school. Wow. So we stayed in Havana for a couple of weeks because we were waiting on other students to come from other countries. And then we all went down to our school. Mm. That was an experience. I'll tell you. Mm. You said the rationing of um of food items. Yeah, toiletries, so, food items. Yeah, so they would get like um monthly things, right? You get your soap, you get your rice, sugar. And you know what I loved about the Cubans? They were always very sharing. So once right. we made a pact of friends with a Cuban family, they were always ready to share something. That's always nice. Because the I loved about the Cubans. Mm-hmm. Um, and they always made the best of the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, tried to make the best of the situation. Right. And as I said, I really liked how, the, and even Caribbean people in general, we really came together to mm-hmm. help each other, support each other um, in any way we could. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that must have been an interesting experience for you. I mean, what was uh, what was the reaction of your parents and your family that at seventeen, I'm assuming you'd never left home before. It's, I mean, seventeen is young because when mm-hmm. I left to, at first I was a flight attendant in Antigua, and then I migrated to go to um, to go to university. But I was 21. So, what was your parents' um, reaction when at 17 you were living home? Well, I think my mother took it the hardest because I am the first child and, um, you know, the whole stigma, stigma with Cuba and not yeah. knowing what to expect. Uh, communication wasn't so hot either. So, yeah, it was, I think it was rough for her. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's very encouraging. He's like, you know, just stick it out. You can do it. So <laughs> I know, and, and as I and, said, we had we had um, support from each other. Like the other person that went with me, mm-hmm. she's Antiguan as well, and we, we were like glued together. <laughs> no, no. Had you had you known her before that before you guys left? Apparently, she did go to the state college with me, but I, I we weren't really in the same department, and I didn't uh, know not really. <laughs> wow. No, no, no. What what year was this that you went to Cuba? At two thousand and three. 2003 so we didn't have like whatsapp so we didn't have open really great technology for there was no and there's no internet in cuba like that there's no internet in cuba at the time at that time at that time it was um intranet which is you know within the community yes eventually we were able to send emails out Mm -hmm. um we would get there's a phone that We'd have to schedule a call. So mom will say, okay, I'm going to call you at such and such a time. So you go to receive the call. Wow. Um, it was basically one, and then we got a phone on our floor, but it was mm-hmm. one phone for the whole 20-something people. Oh my, one phone for 20-something people. <laughs> and then eventually they were able, oh, I think Digistar was able to pick up over there so i was able to get a cell phone so mm-hmm. they will top it up and call me and i was later down in you know towards the ending of the six years mm-hmm. by the way six years i was about to ask you that now i mean what was the experience like because cuba speaks spanish oh, okay. so how did how did that work how did that work in terms of you and all the other antiguan students being english speakers so we started well, I didn't do Spanish before I went to Cuba. And when we all got together to that school, they taught us Spanish in Spanish. And so our there were other countries there too. There was Haiti, so you know they speak French. Mm-hmm. So our common language would have been Spanish. Yes. And so I, I kinda um appreciated that part of it in terms of being taught Spanish in Spanish because really that's how the kids learn when they communicate with their parents who speak Spanish. So um, so the first year we did Spanish as much as possible mm-hmm. and then we actually started the, the career the second year and it was challenging because they spoke faster than we were accustomed to. I can imagine. So we might have been behind with notes sometimes so we'll we'll you know group together and see what our notes say what we're missing who's missing what and then it really helps us to to bond i guess Mm -hmm. because we had to help each other get through the um the language barrier wow because that's from the same vincent i had from belize 
mm-hmm. in my um, my year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because I know of other um, uh, people from Dominica who went to school in Cuba, and I think they said the first year is dedicated to learning the language, right? And then you get into the program. But I guess the benefit of that is because you're now bilingual. Yeah, so it's been 11 years since mm-hmm. I left Cuba. <laughs> so, oh, so, so you know, are you saying you've forgotten the language? <laughs> you know, it goes and comes because yes. I don't do it every day. But like yesterday, I had a Spanish patient. Mm-hmm. They, I think she's from Santo Domingo. And she was so relieved that I spoke Spanish. And I'm a little nervous because I know my Spanish kind of. I was like, no, no, you're doing good. Yeah. So it, it goes and comes. I guess yeah. it will never go altogether, but... Mm-hmm. So I was able to, so I told the, the patients that speak Spanish here appreciate when I come in with the Spanish. <laughs> right, right. Well, so if you're just joining us, we're, speak, we're speaking to Dr. Jamila uh, Fabian out. I keep wanting to say Fabian, um, Jamila, I don't know why. <laughs> Dr. Jamila Fabian out in Antigua. Uh, she's an optometrist and she's already told us the difference between optometry and ophthalmology, which we always get confused. And she's just telling us about some of the challenges she's faced along the way and some of the successes. Now, would you say having that community of other Antiguans made it a lot more uh, doable for you to be in Cuba? Definitely. Yes. You know, my island is pretty small. I think it's smaller than Dominica, right? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And where we stayed, it was it was kind of like a small island setting because it was the smallest province. But what I appreciated was because we had Antiguans in different provinces, we would travel. So we'd mm-hmm. go um, to Pinar, we'd go to Santiago for a weekend and, you know, meet up with the Antiguans. Um, and we also used to have our independence celebration so we'll uh, rent out a a campus what they call it but it's like a kind of like a what do they call it a mini camp or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they had little villas mm-hmm. and you know we'll invite other people from other provinces and other countries and everybody will come celebrate we'll do like a, a cook-up we'll do um a show cultural show we'll, and you know the, the parties those, those were nice Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it really really helped and then we would go to other people's um, independence programs we went to Dominica we went to Jamaica we went to Bahamas so I feel like within the cultural part of it really helped us and I still have friends from the different countries all Mm -hmm. you know still Mm -hmm. from that part and you know, I can't speak for other cultures, but I know we as Caribbean people, wherever we go, we take our culture with us. Because yes. I went to school at Midwestern State University in Texas, and it was the same thing. We had a wonderful community. I got to meet people from Antigua and St. Vincent mm-hmm. and Grenada yeah. and yeah. Montserrat and St. Kitts. So it was so nice to see you know, to have that experience of meeting other people from the other islands and kind of leaning on them. We did the same thing, celebrated everybody's independence, you know, the yeah. parties, you know, we can do it without, without our parties, you know, we're island people. <laughs> it was so nice because back then, if you went home to the Caribbean, someone would always bring up a CD of the latest music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we looked forward to that back then, Square One and um, Crossfire. Were okay. big deals, so <laughs> it was so much fun. So I think it's so important that we have that community that we can rely on when we're outside of our um, island homes. Yeah, yeah. So let's fast yeah. forward. A, yeah, let's fast forward a little bit and talk about your experiences now. So how long have you been an opt- um, op- optometrist? Yeah, I get it confused. <laughs> so I graduated Cuba two thousand nine. So we're looking at eleven years. Yeah being an optometrist uh-huh. and where do you um, currently I'm work currently um paradise vision center i was able to open my own practice mm. in 2018 congratulations thank you so 2009 i was still young i was 24 i want to say if you can't remember <laughs> but uh, one of the challenges i had coming out of school was that i looked really young so, you still do? <laughs> <laughs> so can you imagine how I look then? Yes. <laughs> you know, I had to get through the challenge of people being um, or not having confidence in me because I look like I, I'm still going to high school. Yes. So yes. one of the things 
and I'm a small person, so I'm not very tall. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really had to overcome that. Mm-hmm. And how did you do that? Well, I tried to assure the person that I mm-hmm. know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a seat and I will go through the exam with you. I normally try to go through every step that I'm doing so they understand what's happening next. Mm-hmm. And normally by the end of the exam, everybody's a lot more relieved and they're able to <laughs> come back again. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you don't take offense to it, that also helps. Because sometimes when people think that, you know, you look too young to do this job, you're too young to be a doctor, it can become very offensive and we can get, you know, all defensive about it. So one time, I mean, a couple of times I would tell the patients, you know, you have to start somewhere, you know, because you you might go to a doctor that's older, but you know, the doctor wasn't always that old. They had to have started somewhere. So I'm starting. (laughs) <laughs> right right that's a good way of putting it and just having a sense of humor about the whole thing and i yeah, think yeah. once they see you're walking them through the process then they start to relax and they're like oh maybe she does know what she's talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so how is the practice going are you are you the sole um optometrist at the practice yes i am mm-hmm. the optometrist. And, my, and how many patients do you currently have I don't know. So it's, it's a work, well, you know, starting a new business, a work in progress. Um, due to the, the, my previous um, workplaces, I was able to build relationships with other patients and they Good. would come on over and, you know, visit me at the practice and would have made a, a name for myself, I guess, where persons will remember the name and say, oh, yes, I remember when she checked my eyes when I was over so and so and so, you know. Mm-hmm. so that that helps but um yeah so building the relationship with the patients you ask me how many patients i have yeah, yeah just a ballpark do you know like how many <laughs> i've never counted okay. because with with the optometry it's new it's, it's once a year normally right mm-hmm. and so you'll at your first year, obviously, everybody's going to be your first time. And then the second year, you might still add new, and your previous mm-hmm. patients will still come. So it's just a, a continuation. It's like it's continuous. So I don't know if I can say 500, if mm-hmm. I can say 400. I, I don't want to give a figure because I really don't know. And I never really, uh, <laughs> I never paid attention to that. I was like, I'm just grateful that you know, people are coming. Right. That's okay. what I was about to say. You're just grateful that you have a constant stream of patients yes. coming in. Yes. yes. And you know, that some days sense. are better than some, but I, you know, I've learned to, to understand mm-hmm. that that's all a part of the business. Mm-hmm. Now, now tell us what has been the impact of COVID-19 on your business? Well, we had to do a lot of um, uh, safe sanitary procedures. Mm-hmm which would cost more than would have been budgeted for for that year. Mm-hmm. We did close in the month of April. Mm-hmm. So that would have carried or affected um, sales for the month. Um, I was just about to launch a mobile, um, uh, mobile optometry or so I had all my I have all my equipment already. That's, that like, that's a great move. idea, by the way, to go to the rural communities, maybe. Yeah, like I would be able. I was gonna. I used to. I would go to like uh, nursing homes. Mm-hmm. I've been to a nursing home where I go and check them out, or somebody's home where the the person is um, bedridden. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would do screenings at school. So we'll just basically check their eye their vision see if they need further testing where they can come to the office for the complete eye exam but i can do eye exams outside the office but i really definitely put a stop to that right now because um it would be really too much movement yeah right now so Mm -hmm. but you're pretty much set up for once all of this is over to get going (laughs) that's a great idea yeah that's a great idea because you know i'm just thinking optometry you're like right in in the person's face exactly. and the person is right in your face i definitely had anxiety in that yeah so yeah. i felt like i don't know because it's, the virus is so new you, you really don't even know how it's how it's spreading because if mm. you say i wear my mask right. but you just don't know if it's enough 
you know? Right, right, right. You sanitize, you don't know if it's enough because this mm. virus seems so, so powerful. Yeah. And, and what is it currently like in Antigua? Do you know how many like, cases you guys have currently? So we have active eight cases. Eight. That's not bad. It's That's not bad. bad. Mm-hmm. And that kind of puts me on edge as well, especially when you look at other countries. You know, there are hundreds and thousands. And yeah. All of that. And like, okay, so what are we doing different? You know, mm-hmm. you kind of edge like okay. Suppose one day you just end up like that, like you know, if it's not yeah. Because unfortunately, the the numbers in Dominica, St. Lucia, the other islands, it's it's rising yeah, right St. now. Lucia is scaring me. I'm like, yes, what? it is. It what is. are you doing now that you weren't doing before, or what are we doing that we, you know, I don't know. Right. Well, that's good. I'm happy to hear that um, it's not um, as overwhelming as, as as it's like in many of the other islands. So you're able to, you know, continue your practice. You weren't closed for an extended period of time. So that's good news. Yeah, yeah. yeah Gotta look yeah. at the positives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so any other challenges you want to share with us? Um, I just know, what is it? This is going to be, well, the, the January 2nd will celebrate the three-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting a new business people always say it's a challenge and you know it's not easy it really is <laughs> it's a challenge it is, it's really it not is. Easy. It is. Um, and i don't think it's supposed to be easy but at the same time like you just don't know what to expect and i think that that was one of my my biggest challenges mm-hmm. not being able to to control certain things i had to wait for example getting my machine my equipment here in antigua you know, we they, they told us it was going to come in October of that year, and it never came till the December. So can you imagine me, my anxiety between October and December, not knowing when is it actually going to happen, and then when it actually came here, then I had some challenges getting it into the office. It's right. just a lot of anxiety. Whereas, yes, I'm grateful that I opened successfully, everything went well, but that time or that frame of mind I was in at that time, I don't ever want to be like that again. Right, it was just right. a lot. Yeah, um, it's always most difficult in the beginning when you're trying to get everything together and then, you know, something might come up you hadn't even thought about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and that, that's always a challenge. But, you know, I, I wanted to speak to you as well because, you know, I think we can all be honest that we do not do regular eye checkups just for doing eye checkup purposes. I'm sure you only see most of us when there's an issue. Because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, the last time I went to an optometrist, I had this little black spot in my eye and they said something to the effect of a detached retina or something. It, it, it has since passed. But mm-hmm. what advice would you give to us to encourage us to not wait until we have a problem to come see you? Well, I, I, I like that question because one of my... Um, my objectives or goals is to bring awareness to to the community of the need to check your eyes. So I do have, um, I did produce some videos recently mm. on five, five different videos on five reasons why you should get your eyes checked. So I really try to push the five reasons why you should get your eyes checked. And um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that will definitely hopefully <laughs> drive people to go is glaucoma because glaucoma yes. is um one of the silent bees of your sight because you don't know you have glaucoma until it's too far gone so if you can come and tell me well i'm not seeing over on my sides my periphery like most likely the vision has deteriorated too far because whatever damage it does it cannot be recovered so the objective is early, early um, detection of glaucoma. So you'd want to do your yearly eye exams. You also want to know your family history. So you have family history of glaucoma. That's a very key factor as well when we're doing the eye exams to see if um, you would have those traits. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are other reasons too besides glaucoma. But glaucoma I'm really, really concerned about because, as I said, you can never know until it's too late. So that's right. the best thing, early detection. Mm-hmm. And then some persons with diabetes or persons who don't even know they have diabetes can experience um, bleeding at the back of the eye. I did mention diabetic retinopathy earlier. And so that's basically one of the, the signs of, 
of the uncontrolled diabetes, you have bleeding at the back of the eye. And in um, extreme cases, it can lead to blindness. Mm-hmm. So again, you want to make sure your blood sugars are under control and keep doing your regular eye exams to pick up anything in the early stages. So the objective is always for early detection and not when it's too far gone. And if you're not diabetic, you're not hypertensive, you generally a healthy person, you should still get your eyes checked because there are other health um, eye issues that you can have. Um, what I what I realize is that a lot of people think that they see well until they do the eyes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it could be a lot better than I'm right. seeing right now. <laughs> so uh, that too is another reason why you should get your eyes checked, just to make sure you're seeing the way you should be seeing. Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, my family listens to this program and they will all tell you Simone needs to go get her eyes checked. <laughs> but, you know, I've just been putting it off. So I'm going to make it a point of duty in 2021 to get my eyes checked because what I'm starting to realize is as you get older, it feels like your eyes are straining. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's a strain when you try to look at something close up and then you you lift your head to look at something far away, it almost takes longer for your eyes to readjust. I just attribute it to getting old. Yeah, but then you don't have to go through it. You can, because there is something that you can, you know, help you. Right, right. Right. So now tell us, where can we see those videos? Because I think those videos are so important. You have them online? I have the videos on my Facebook page, Paradise Vision Center. Okay, let me make a note of that. Paradise vision center okay they are also on the instagram page friday's vision center page as well so those where you'll find the videos do i have them on youtube i think i have them on youtube as well okay um paradise vision center as well okay excellent so the three social media platforms they're they're on there yeah well thank you for for telling us about that so again you're listening to untapped potential and we're speaking to dr jamila uh, fabian an optometrist and the owner of paradise vision center in antigua now dr fabian as we get ready to wrap up do you have any final thoughts for us well this journey has taught me a lot and um anxiety has a way of trying to push forward and overwhelming you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things that helps me through the anxiety is focusing on the positives. Mm-hmm. Like things as I start to say, okay, no, I'm alive. I can breathe. I'm healthy. My business is open. I own it. Um, and then you, you kind of just start to relax more. And you realize this too will pass. Yeah. Yes, it's challenging now. You'll get through it and you'll realize, oh, okay, so that's done. On to the next. Mm-hmm. On to the next. It'll never stop. It'll always be on to the next. And that's something that I had to, to realize coming through this, that on to the next. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep thinking positive. I know sometimes you kind of just overpowers you, but try and push, push out the positive thoughts. Mm-hmm. You have a supporting family. You're grateful for them. Everybody's okay. You're okay. It's going to be okay. Basically, that's mine. Yes, powerful, powerful, powerful. So thank you so much. And congratulations on the business. Thank you. Yes, thank you for sharing with us. And what you said is absolutely true because it can just seem so overwhelming, especially during this COVID-19 crisis. And especially when you're trying to start something new, it just Mm -hmm. feels sometimes like it's not going anywhere right? You know, you can have all the support system in the world, but at the end of the day, this is your journey. Mm -hmm. So it can feel so overwhelming. So I like that you said, remember um, what you are grateful for and also remember what is working. Mm -hmm. Because many times we get caught up in what is not working and forget to look at what is actually working. Yes, this is the problem. How am I going to solve it? So don't focus on the problem. Focus on how you're going to solve it. Exactly. You focus on the problem, you dwell in, dwell in, dwell in it. It's not going to get solved. You still have to solve the problem. Nice. So. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, uh, Dr. Fabian. It was absolutely wonderful connecting with you. And I wish you continued success in your business. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was, it was fun. Good, good. <laughs> so you have... Present. 
A wonderful recipe, Dan. This was your first time doing an interview such as this. So, so what did you yes. think? <laughs> it was good. I liked it. I, I hope that, you know, the positives would be distributed to yes. the listeners. Yes, and you will inspire someone today. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Okay. You All too. Right, take care. If you live in Canada, the U.S., and the U.K., and are looking for Dominica products, including cocoa sticks, bay rum, coffee, soaps, crafts, and other popular Dominica items, then look no further. You can now shop on buydominicaonline.com, a secure, easy-to-navigate website selling a wide variety of Dominica-made and Dominica-inspired products. When you shop on buydominicaonline.com, you are helping to grow Dominica's economy. Go to buydominicaonline.com and enjoy home away from home. special thank you once again to Dr. Jamila Fabian for being our guest right here on Untapped Potential. I think we can all identify with the experience of leaving our homes and traveling to a foreign land to pursue better opportunities. So we're very happy that she's doing well and that her business is off to a steady start as she continues to grow her business. So speaking of being an immigrant, I thought I would take a closer look at the experiences that many of us go through as immigrants. So I, I found this great piece of footage from Medgar Evers College in New York City, where a number of their students, a number of their faculty are just recounting their experiences of being an immigrant, the, the differences between living in the Caribbean versus living up here in the U.S. So I thought I would share that information with you because I'm sure there is some, maybe all of the, of the information that you can identify with. And the other reason that I thought that I wanted to do this is because I recognize that a lot of the guests and a lot of the information that I share through Untapped Potential and Push Past 10 on my Facebook Lives, a lot of it involves the story of immigrants. So I wanted to kind of look at that particular story more closely. And you know, it is wonderful to hear from all the other countries, but I just thought that we we as Dominicans, we as Caribbean people, we need more of a voice out there to tell our stories, to share our experiences, to inspire each other, and to 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 educate others who are not, who have misconceptions about who we are as Caribbean people. So again, listen to this piece of information out of Medgar Evers College in New York as a number of the students and faculty recounts being immigrants. And then we will come right back and wind up the show for this evening. So take a listen. Caribbean is known for its pristine beaches, flavorful food, good music, and fun vibes. However, there are much more to these beautiful countries. Life growing up in the Caribbean was quite interesting. Uh, we came from a sort of a laissez-faire uh, environment where time relatively didn't really make a difference for us. In the Caribbean, life was great. Summers were probably our best times. You would wake up in the morning and you'd pretty much be gone all day. And wherever you ended up at lunchtime, that's where you had lunch. Tropical. It's very nice. Uh, you, you got the, the hot sun every day. You got the beach to enjoy. You got some nice drink over there. Mm, it's, it's, it's a love over there. <laughs> My life growing up in the Caribbean was very difficult. Um, but my mom and they tried to make it the best experience that they could have made it, but we still survived. My name is George Irish. I'm from Montserrat. I believe Medgar has a special role to play. We have the only Caribbean research center in the United States. And uh, our research is about 
how Caribbean people live in New York and in the US and their connections with the Caribbean region. My name is Cheryl Ann Mason and I'm from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I came to the United States in 1999 and I did come as a foreign student so my intention was to come to school um, and you know after getting my degree to go back to the Caribbean to contribute the best way I knew. However um, I stayed and I've been here now for just about 17 years. My name is Gladys Palma, the Shrine Makers and I was born in La Habana, Cuba. Well I didn't grow up there but I came when I was young and I came for political reasons. Um, my family and I came when I was relatively young um, on something that President Kennedy did. It was called the Freedom Flights. My name is Derek Skeet and I am from Trinidad and Tobago. To be an immigrant from the Caribbean just simply means then that you, an individual has migrated, lived their home of abode and migrated to another country seeking betterment. And even though, yes, I migrated from Trinidad when I came to the United States, but I don't necessarily see myself in that light. I see myself as just a citizen of the world who just happened to want to be in another place where more opportunities exist for me to help to augment my life. My name is Asha Edwards-Newton and I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. What it really means to me in terms of leaving the Caribbean to come here and stabilizing myself here as an immigrant it's it was very difficult my mother was a principal and el jefe as he was called at the time um, fidel castro came to visit her school and he wanted to meet specifically with the kindergarten class and the story that resonated was that he sat down and in kindergarten they're four and five year olds and he sat down with a little boy and he said to a little boy, um, what do you want most right now? And the little boy, being a, a four-year-old, five-year-old little boy, said, I would like a truck right now. I, I really want a truck. And he said to the little boy, I want you to pray to God for the truck. And the little boy stopped for a minute and said, okay, and he did. And then, obviously, nothing happened. Then he says, I want you to ask me and the revolution for a truck. And sure enough, a truck appeared. And he said to the little boy, I want you to make sure that you understand that the revolution will provide everything that you need. But my mother was so disturbed by that interaction that that is when my family began to plan to leave and my family had been there for generations. When I came to the United States, my sole purpose was to go to school. I came here with the intention of going to school and furthering my education. I mean, leaving Trinidad and Tobago, I was attending the Institute, Venezuelan Institute for Culture and Cooperation because I wanted to be an interpreter. And at the same time, I was also pursuing advanced level mathematics and economics. Um, but I left Trinidad, I came up here, and I started to work as a carpenter, installing and refinishing hardwood floors. Now, that was just a segue for me into coming to school. My name is Shayene Brown, and I'm from Jamaica. The education in Jamaica is very competitive compared to here. You're trying to outdo another student because you want to be on top of the class. The coursework is very much different. In Jamaica, you did a lot of tests and essay writing. In St. Vincent, I would say the education system was pretty rigid. It was based on the British model, um, which emphasized, you know, the reading, the writing, and the arithmetic. Um, and so they were very big on conventions, um, very big on rules and discipline. And so 
it was very, very structured um, in terms of exposure to multiple things that we did not necessarily have in terms of the curriculum, which I got here once I came to the United States. There are a lot more opportunities to pursue different avenues. And so I think that is a major difference in terms of the educational system. I think the discipline in the Caribbean is very, very rigid. Um, I've, I've heard that it's changing somewhat now. Um, but I think as a product of that system, I was able to adjust really very well to the U.S. system, although there were things that were challenging initially because things like the writing styles are very different. Um, but I was able to manage, and I think I got a very good foundation in the Caribbean. You get results here, and it's good results, but I feel like steps are being missed while you're going through the process. My name is uh, Franz Merveilleux Simon, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually from Haiti. We have the French education system. It's like way harder, you study more, you have more to do. So that's why when I came to the USA, like it was a little bit easier for me because like the work they gave me to do, it was like way easier. So I, I, I adapt to the system very easily. In Trinidad and Tobago, you have, where well, we follow the British system. So at a very young age, students are required to take the common entrance exam at the time. But things have changed somewhat by now, but it's still similar. So a 10-year-old, 11-year-old taking the common entrance exam and he or she not doing well or not being successful, that student now then has to go to either trade school or if the parents have money, they're going to pay for them to go to a secondary school. So in essence, you're talking about students who were literally left out or left back because of economics. Whereas here, every student has an opportunity to advance, of course, once they successfully meet the standard for their particular grade level. So, and that's a big difference. Number two, there is more of a supportive system here for students, especially in the elementary and secondary and junior high school level, in the sense where um, you have systems in place that's geared towards helping students as they transition from one phase into the next. Whereas at the time when I was growing up, there was very little in terms of support for students who were even leaving elementary school who wants to go into secondary school. My name is Dr. Maudry Beverly Lashley. I was offered a job in Barbados as the Deputy Director of Culture. And while there, I applied or was accepted to law school. And I did two years of law. I didn't like it because I realized the system was difficult for me coming from an American system and that system was all under a British system. So you would attend classes in a big lecture hall. And if you had a question, you had to wait a couple of days for a clarification or elucidation by attending um, tutorials, which would be taught by a professor. And I found that kind of difficult because you had to write down your questions. And my attitude is, if I have to write down my questions, I might as well go research and get my answers. And for clarification, it was the same way. So the two systems were different. Um, unfortunately, the educational system here thought that because you don't know English means there must be something developmentally wrong with you. So um, for a while, they didn't know what to do with us. It was really before bilingual programs or anything of that nature. So they didn't know what to do with us. And they thought that we were dumb because we didn't know English. Not that we were fluent and native. I mean, I was reading at the age of three, so I came reading. My brother um, was very good in mathematics. But again, they thought because our language was not English that there was something academically wrong with us. Well, I think a bridge has already been created that when you look at some of our leaders in the Caribbean, they've been educated in the United States and in England. And another way is exchange students. It would be an asset for us to have students come in here, particularly to Mega Evers or City University, to look at the various areas and, and they can become competent in those areas. I think the political system is definitely a place for that to happen and I think we're seeing more Caribbean people getting involved in the political life of the United States and so as we get involved our concerns in the Caribbean can be um, raised in 
relevant places, so whether that be in the city council, whether that be in Congress, wherever, that there is no um, sensitivity to the needs and the experiences of Caribbean people. Well, by some of the things that we're doing in Medgar Evers College, I think that's how we could bridge what I call the educational, creating an educational bridge, which is also creating a cultural bridge, where you have students um, studying in the Caribbean, students from the Caribbean studying in Medgar Evers College. It's really only through working together and learning together can we build a bridge. The Caribbean diaspora is that meeting place where minds can come together to think about how we make our existence here in the U.S. better, but how also we can better contribute to the places from which we have um, originated. We are all connected in some way or the other. Whether we're connected through uh, our, our groupings, we're connected through geography, but in some way we are connected and we have to sort of break out of some of the titles and some of the national, nationalism that some of us so hold on to are not recognizing and that we need to expand our thinking, expand our overall offerings as a way of bridging the gap. To me it's the diaspora of, of the beginning of time because when you think of the diaspora in the Caribbean it starts from Africa. If you look at Cuban music, its base is African music. When you look at religion in Cuba, Santeria, it is based on um, religious icons in Africa. So to me, the diaspora of the Caribbean, it's basically another wave of African, the African diaspora. The Caribbean American um, diaspora means to me a big part of Kalalu. Everybody coming together and a little bit bringing their culture, bringing a little bit to the pot. So when you open it, and you put a spoon in it, and you taste it, it tastes really good. So hopefully you were able to identify with some of the information that was just presented with regards to being an immigrant. And this is the direction I think I want our program to take. So all about setting our goals and moving our lives forward, but also about celebrating the story of the immigrant, celebrating who we are as a people, celebrating our culture, our heritage, our uh, journeys, our talents, our businesses. So there's a lot to cover. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I was having a conversation with our manager here TDN Radio, Mr. Sam George, and you know we are exploring a number of opportunities to use TDN TV to broadcast all the wonderful interviews we have conducted so far and everyone who has been just so gracious in stopping by to share their stories to continue to inspire us. So we're going to be doing more. We're going to be adding material to TDN TV and also just continuing our work to celebrate who we are as Caribbean people and people of African heritage. So I hope you will continue to follow us. Of course, you can follow me at PushPass10, P-U-S-H-P-A-S-T, the number 10 on Facebook, which is where I share a lot of our stories, uh, you know, businesses, we do Facebook promotions, and we just continue the work of giving the immigrant, the Caribbean immigrant, a voice in this very... <laughs> big world of ours. So again, I hope you will follow me. And again, if this was your first time joining us right here on TDN Radio for Push Pass for uh, Untapped Potential, I'm sorry. Again, if this was your first time joining me for Untapped Potential right here on TDN Radio, I would encourage you to visit my website, 
pushpast10.com for all the prior podcasts of the previous shows for the video interviews of our guests. So that website again is P-U-S-H-P-A-S-T, the number 10.com. And as a matter of fact, we had a wonderful interview that I did with Dr. Thompson Fountain, and he was giving us an update on the peace agreement in South Sudan, Africa. So for those of you who are familiar with the work of Dr. Thompson Fountain, you know that he's been working tirelessly to help the newly formed uh, South Sudan out there in Africa to help them to form as a country and to stop the bloodshed. You know, they, they became a, a country back in 2011 and by 2013, civil war had broken out with 600,000 people. I mean, that is quite a number. 600,000 people got slaughtered. So the neighboring countries intervened and they were able to bring together this organization to help to create a peace agreement. So you certainly want to check out that interview. It is now playing on Push Past 10 with Dr. Thompson Fountain as he tells us about the status of the peace agreement. And we continue with our inspiring guests. So next week, you know, you can expect to hear from yet another inspiring guest. This time we will be joined by Mr. Michelle Williams. He is out of Dominica and he is the manager director of Navigant Financial Services. So he is going to walk us through the, the challenges of the financial industry during this COVID time. So we're looking forward to hearing from him. And again, don't forget to mark your calendar for Captain Arthur Williams for his I'm sorry, Captain Arthur Senhouse. <laughs> He's my cousin. You would think I would know his last name. So Captain Arthur Senhouse, who will be joining us on April 6th. And of course, you know him as the Director of Flight Operations at Liat. So, you know, we are island hopping. So we'll be in Dominica. Then we're going to hop back over to Antigua. And then we will see where the journey takes us. So again, thank you for being here for yet another episode of Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone. The pleasure is always mine to be here with you each and every Tuesday, and I look forward to continuing this journey. So as always, remember that your life story is your strength. Tap into your potential each and every day, and remember to stay active, to stay engaged, and to stay productive. So until we meet next week, same time, same place, 5.30 Eastern Time, right here on TDN Radio, it has been a pleasure being here with you today.